Welcome to Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and today we're talking about a topic that is really inside Maine. We're going to be talking about broadband and how important it is, good Internet connections. If there's anything we've learned from the pandemic in addition to the health precautions that we need to take and how important vaccines are and how important broadband can be, particularly if you don't have it, whether it's kids connecting to schools to keep up with their homework or their schoolwork, or seniors connecting for telehealth, or people who are uh, able, or hopefully, to work from home, but they can't if they don't have a good broadband connection. So that's the topic today, and there's some good news on the horizon for Maine. Our first guest is Josh Broder, who's the CEO of Tilson Technologies, which is a company based in Maine with over 400 employees that does uh, uh, broadband development work all over the country. And uh, by the way, Josh, I just love it that there are people in all, other parts of the country who report to the headquarters in uh, downtown Portland. So congratulations on on where you've taken this company. And tell us about what you do, and then, then we can dig into uh, the, the issues that we're facing in Maine and elsewhere uh, with regard to development of better broadband. So, Josh, take it away. Sure. Thanks, Senator King, and it, it's nice to be here. Tilson is on a mission to build America's information infrastructure, and for us that means building uh, national-scale networks for cellular providers for mobile broadband, uh, for wireline broadband providers bringing fiber to the home, uh, for power utilities modernizing their grids, uh, and uh, for government agencies doing what they do. And we are just so passionate about building a more connected world. And for us, that means bringing broadband into every building and home and uh, also making it available uh, on, on your mobile wherever you are. And so you can't buy a phone from us. We're the guys behind the phone company um, make, making their gears turn. Tell me about the, the disparities. I mean, you, you know Maine very well. Uh, talk about the, the, the differences that we have region to region and town to town. Sure. So I, I think that there's three broadband gaps that we face both in Maine and, and throughout the country. Um, the, the first and most well-known is the rural broadband gap, and this means that we don't see uh, as many high-speed broadband options in places that are rural because it's more expensive to get to those places and, and fewer customers. Um, and uh, in, in many parts of Maine, the, the broadband is insufficient to support things like uh, telehealth, like remote work, uh, distance education um, during the pandemic, both before the pandemic and, and hopefully someday soon when this pandemic is over. Um, and, and so that's, that's a gap that I think is largely cured by uh, deploying more infrastructure and, and, and getting some subsidy into that infrastructure. Um, the, the second kind of gap I see is in urban areas. Um, and you know, in particularly in urban areas where um, there, there are, you know, minority neighborhoods uh, or, or economically disadvantaged neighborhoods. And this, these are places where you don't see as much broadband either. And, and that's less well known um, that there's little, little gaps here, uh, both in coverage and availability and affordability, uh, especially. And then, and then the third category of gap I would describe the, is, is the everyone gap. I, I live in Portland, Maine. I, I live right in town in the city proper. And I have lousy broadband. Um, and, you know, there there's some federal agencies that would say, you know, I'm well served. 
and, and meet their meet their definition. But you know, I, I really don't think that I am. I my wife and I are both working from home, and we have two kids doing distance education, and it just doesn't work. Um, and and so I I do want to compliment you on the on the letter you recently sent, calling for federal agencies to increase their de- their definition of broadband, and um, and really to to set a more aspirational number and to standardize it across the agency. But I think that's desperately needed because I'm really talking about people who are unserved in pockets, and then generally even the people who we call air quotes here served, you know, maybe aren't served very well uh, on a nationally or or worldwide competitive basis. Well, one of the reasons I sent that letter was, and, and the letter, by the way, uh, suggests uh, uh, what's called 100 by 100, 100 uh, megabytes down and 100 megabytes up uh, symmetrical service, uh, which, as you say, is somewhat aspirational, although there are parts of the country that have that kind of service are in excess. But one of the things I'm concerned about, and we're going to talk about this, but as we're spending billions of dollars to upgrade the broadband infrastructure, I want to be sure it's future-proof. I don't want to have to spend billions of dollars every five or ten years. I'd rather build infrastructure now that will have the capacity to deliver uh, what the future will require in terms of of uh, uh, connectivity and and speed and latency and and uh, all of those issues. So, and then my philosophy is: if you don't ask, you don't get, and if you don't set a goal, you'll never get there. So, uh, we're trying to establish a a, a realistic goal. Uh, well, as you know, in the uh, American Rescue Plan, which just passed, uh, there's a carve-out of $10 billion for uh, broadband. Uh, and we believe uh, the, the Treasury Department is still working on how to how to distribute the money and, and what the regulations will be or what the format will be. But we think that's going to bring well over $100 million to Maine, uh, which is a big deal. Uh, and uh, talk to me about how we should how we should spend that money, Josh. Where do you? I mean, uh, I, I, maybe you'll say you should send it all directly to Tilson Technologies. But <laughs> other than that, how do we how do we how do we get the most bang for the buck with the money that's coming to Maine? Well, the first thing I want to say about that is um, the fact that that ten billion dollars is coming to the states as block grants for the states to decide how best to distribute that money um, is incredibly important. Um, and as we watched the process unfold, it was very clear to us that the that your advocacy and the work of your team to make sure that this money didn't go into a, into a federal program that would have disadvantaged Maine or brought broadband to older legacy technologies, um, you know, but, but for that effort uh, by you and your team, I, I don't think it would have gone this way. Um, and the reason that's so important here in Maine is that uh, – in Maine, Mainers have a pretty good idea where the gaps are, um, and they have high aspiration for what they want. They want um, really fast speeds. Uh, they want speeds that can be delivered by modern technologies like fiber. And, um, you know, since since the Treasury hasn't made their rules, that the state hasn't made their rules either, but uh, I can imagine this, um, this subsidy coming in, into the Connect Maine Authority, uh, which has done extensive mapping of, of where the gaps are, and they've partnered um, with a with a citizen group um, uh, called the Broadband Coalition, and they've done extensive speed testing at the address granular level, and they have better data than what's available, you know, let's say today at the FCC from carrier self-reported information. And so a really good position um, to make good policy um, and to partner with 
the right carriers and communities um, out in the field, out where the gaps exist, um, to close those gaps and to do it, you know, with an aspirational modern standard that, you know, when my kids are my age, you know, sort of wrestling with hopefully a different set of issues and not these issues. Well, and and the uh, the idea of of the mapping is really important because what we've learned is the FCC in Washington thinks that an area has, has great coverage if there's one person that has good broadband in the whole almost in the whole county, and and that's why their maps are so inefficient. And that that was what Mark Warner was my uh, was my partner on this project, and and we just felt that the states would be in a much better position to know. Uh, how the money could best be spent. Now, the other piece is, though, once it gets to the state, there are lots of different models, and there's a lot of uh, sort of uh, development and innovation going on in terms of uh, some towns are are uh, bringing in the broadband, then allowing private uh, carriers to to uh, in a sense rent the rent the wires. Uh, is that a is that a viable model? It seems to me that makes sense for for really rural areas and small towns to band together uh, and and do these projects jointly. Uh, yes, I, I I agree that that's a, a viable path. As we think about what a successful model in a community will be, you know, I, a couple of thoughts. One is that scale matters, and so if communities can band together and do something that's bigger than a single community standing alone. Um, you know, it's, it's, probably, it's probably a better deal. And also that there's a number of ways to successfully deliver broadband, both from a technology and a business model standpoint. And my attitude is a bit of a, all of the above. Um, and, and to the extent that communities have a strong opinion and want to determine their own future on this, you know, one of the nice things about Maine law and, and federal law today is that they're able to. And so I'm encouraged that the money is coming in a way that's flexible for the state to perhaps accommodate several of those methods. Um, you know, we, we've heard that uh, Consolidated Communications, which is the uh, incumbent telephone provider in Maine, you know, had recently raised some money to build fiber to the home. And I, I hope they build a lot of fiber to the home. I think they will. Um, we've seen municipalities form, you know, essentially wholesale utilities where they invite some kind of retailer to come and sell uh, over their network. And, and again, we've seen communities uh, decide to, uh, become a broadband provider themselves and deliver it. And of course, there's a number of small providers in Maine, uh, folks like Pioneer Broadband and GWI and Premium Choice and Axiom Technologies that have done good work for years connecting people in rural areas. And I, I would anticipate that they'd have an opportunity to participate in these subsidies as well. And, you know, through the combined efforts of all those people and all of that creativity and all of that private and now public capital, uh, we need to make sure that we get to every, every person. Um, so that they can really participate in the economy, participate in education, have access to health care. Well, it's, it, and the pandemic really underlined that. As I, as I, as I mentioned, it, it uh, sort of cast a spotlight. If you're suddenly your child can't go to school, but they also can't connect to the school, uh, you're, in, you're in a bad place. And that, that half part of education scrambled in the spring uh, to make those connections and did a pretty amazing job. But uh, this, that's one of the... That's that's one of the needs. Talk to me about the technology. There's a lot of talk about satellites and the opportunity to have these multiple satellite links. I think Elon Musk is working on that, and Google was talking about something. Is that uh, is that a feasible alternative to 
to fiber to uh, actual wires, and is that possible in a in a place like Maine where the houses are so far apart, or is that a, a, a uh, are they not going to be able to deliver the speeds at the at the price that is reasonable? What, what, tell, me, tell me about the technology. Sure. So the technology is called LEO, which stands for uh, Low Earth Orbit um, Satellites. And the, the reason that low Earth orbit matters is because they're a little closer to the Earth, so the signal takes less time to get up and down. And so they behave a little bit more like land communications than traditional satellites. Um, satellites been dogged by... The, the problem of physics, the speed of light just takes a long time <laughs> to get there and back, and you can actually feel that delay in your communication. So these work a little better than that. Um, but it's early in their story. You know, Starlink is the first one to deploy on a commercial basis. They're still in beta test. Um, you know, the price point's about $100 after you buy 500 bucks of equipment, and it works better than nothing and not as well as fiber. And so in my all-of-the-above world, uh, you know, that, that may solve problems for people who are impossible on an economic basis, even with subsidy to reach um, by fiber. But I, I don't think it's a panacea or a, or a coverall solution because it doesn't deliver today uh, the kind of uh, speeds uh, and experience that um, people would have on fiber. And so my, my hope is that those satellite constellations are successful and can be part of a solution in the most ultra remote areas. I, I think they originally envisioned this being a, a, you know, technology for the most remote areas, but uh, ultimately, I think we know we need to reach uh, those homes with fiber. And, you know, therein lies the, the rub. Fiber is expensive um, and, you know, requires a lot of capital. And so I, I, I served a brief term um, as, a, a, as a leader of a citizens group called the Governor's Economic Recovery Committee, um, which was charged with delivering recommendations to get Maine's economy back on track with its 10-year plan um, as a result of the pandemic. And, we made a couple of recommendations that were really clear headliner recommendations. One was that more federal support was needed writ large, and the other was that we needed to make a $100 million investment in Internet infrastructure right now, and, and we primarily assumed that would be largely fiber. And, uh, you know, I, I have to give you uh, a lot of credit about, A, delivering timely support, several tranches of support through several bills, and... Um, you know, I think the number we're going to get coming out of this $10 billion is actually in excess of the amount the ERC recommended. Um, and so the, the timing couldn't be better and, and the amount is sufficient. And it was a big, scary number. Uh, and, and the fact that we were able to deliver that here for Maine and you really took a leadership position on that is really meaningful. Well, Josh, before I let you go, uh, how did you learn to do this? You know, a kid from Portland, Maine, uh, went to a liberal arts college, and suddenly you're, uh, you're an expert on connecting people. It was an accident, <laughs> like, like a lot of careers. I, I joke that I'm the accidental technologist, and now I'm a recovering network engineer. And I, I, I guess, the, um, I guess the, the, the quick kind of, kind of story is I, I joined the Army. Um, I w- went to college and took an Army ROTC scholarship, and I had this fantasy that I was going to be a, a military intelligence officer in, in – in Japan, uh, doing James Bond stuff. And after September 11th happened, the plane that hit the Pentagon hit the HR department of the army. And my assignment got all scrambled. I wound up as a communications officer in Germany deploying into the middle East. And, uh, and I learned about technology. And when I got back to Maine, I, I realized that I had been an intentional leader, but an accidental technologist. And I wanted to keep being a leader. And, um, and I really learned something about the power of technology to connect people and overcome problems that I, I wanted to, see if we could do that here in America. (laughs) 
and, uh, and bring our people closer together. Well, we're, we're glad you're here and we're glad Tilson is here. And, and, uh, I do want to mention there's one other aspect that, that hasn't really gotten much attention. We've, there's been a lot of talk about the 10 billion, which will produce, we hope, over 100 million for Maine. And, and I hadn't realized that was the number you guys, uh, were looking for, uh, a few months ago. So that's, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a happy, uh, occurrence. But also, there's a lot of money coming to Maine both to the state and to the localities uh, that's not particularly earmarked. It's for uh, COVID-related relief uh, in various ways, uh, but infrastructure is part of the permissible use, and broadband is mentioned. So there may well be additional funds coming to the state and to the localities uh, when added to that uh, $100 million could really – uh, we could transform Maine uh, in the next in the next 14 months, and I think there's a huge opportunity uh, for Maine to be uh, the work-at-home state uh, and to revitalize the economies of these rural areas. So, if Google wants a 300-person facility, they don't have to build a building and go through all the permitting and the and the TIFs and all of that kind of thing. But we could deliver them 300 well-trained people working from home in, for example, Franklin, Piscataquis, and Somerset County. That would do great things for those regions. Um, and but it all rests on broadband. I mean, it 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 won't work without broadband. But that that's a that's a this is a a huge transformational opportunity. I think particularly for rural Maine. I agree 100 percent, Senator. Um, one of the things that was really successful about the CARES Act was the coronavirus relief fund that provided flexible dollars for the state to allocate. And um, and, and I think the flexible features um, of this most recent bill uh, means that communities can really zoom in on the areas where they need the most help with their infrastructure. And you know, broad, broadband is certainly there. Energy is there. Water is there. Um, and and I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, further – Congressional action on uh, on infrastructure in the U.S. Uh, I think that there's, there's been you know a stopgap here to solve some immediate problems, but we know the infrastructure problems we have are, are, are bigger and more difficult than than even the funding that's available through this bill. And you know we're excited for people to take a hard look at what those priorities are and you know make real investments on on, on the in the country's infrastructure to add value to our society and and sort of build our future efficiency for generations to come. Well, that, that's, uh, that's certainly the, the direction we're all going to be pushing in. So listen, Josh, thank you so much. And thanks for the work that you're doing, uh, both as a, as a citizen, but also as a, as a business leader here in Maine. And, uh, uh, keep in touch with us. We'll continue to work together on making Maine connected. I like, I like that idea. Uh, and our listeners stay with us. We're going to be talking with a national expert on broadband in a minute and uh, about how important this is and what the potential is here in Maine. So stay with us on Inside Maine. Thanks, Josh, for being with us. Welcome back to Inside Maine. We're talking about broadband today. We're talking about fast Internet we're talking about connecting Maine and the country, 
and transforming our economy and our way of life. And with us now, we have Catherine DeWitt, who is uh, with the Pew Charitable Trust, and she has really worked on this issue uh, across the country and particularly in Washington. Uh, Catherine, thanks for joining us. You heard the conversation uh, with uh, Josh Broder, and uh, although you're not up here in Maine, you know how important this can be, particularly for rural areas. I do, and thank you so much for having me today. Uh, it's really an honor to be here, and um, as Josh also mentioned, you've been a long champion and advocate for this work, so thank you for continuing to do that, especially for states. Talk to me about what you view, uh, how, how important this is. Why is Pew Charitable Trust uh, allocating its resources to this, uh, to, to promoting the, the spread of broadband? Well, a couple of reasons, but I think the most important one is that we can't talk about any policy priority, um, any intended social outcome these days without coming back to the availability of a high-speed, reliable Internet connection, um, and the affordability of that connection, as well as the ability to use it. Um, Pew recognized that, one, we didn't really have a good understanding in the field of what was happening in broadband policy. Um, what were states in particular doing um, to advance their efforts to bridge the digital divide? What could federal and local leaders learn from those efforts? Um, and that's where our research started. But I think as we continued going through this work, it really reinforced for us that um, we have to address this problem because if we don't, we are looking at putting communities in a position where they can't compete in the digital economy, where our students can't achieve the outcomes that we want them to have, where aging Americans can't stay in their homes, um, people don't have equitable access to health care. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. So in order to, you know, really build this future that um, you and your colleagues and other officials advocate for, we have to come back to solving this problem. Well, and, and it's particularly a problem in, in rural areas. Uh, Josh Broder mentioned that in urban areas we have better connectivity, but there is an affordability question. You can have the wire go by your house, but if you can't uh, pay $100 a month or more, uh, then it's, it's not going to work for you. So uh, that's another aspect of it. But, but, the, but the, just the, the simple availability of service in rural areas and in, in parts of Maine is a real problem. And, and I suspect it is in Idaho and Montana and West Virginia and Arkansas. It is. And um, I think what was helpful about um, looking at states in particular and how states are responding is realizing that, you know, to your point, it's Maine and Wyoming are not the same uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but they're still facing the same challenge of, how do we get communities online when they may be, quote unquote, uneconomic investments for Internet service providers? So what are the different um, tools that state governments in particular have in their arsenal in order to uh, help either share the risk between the public and private sectors, um, make communities more attractive places for Internet service providers to invest, um, what are the policy avenues that they can pursue in order to bring down barriers to deployment? And what we found across the country is that that's really how states are approaching this. Yes, some of them have uh, large um, grant programs that are investing um, hundreds of millions in 
uh, broadband infrastructure deployment. Um, others are prioritizing their spending by focusing on things like planning and data collection, um, stakeholder engagement with the public and private sectors in order to better understand um, or develop, uh, probably the better way of say, saying it is to um, develop a more precise understanding, not only of where the gaps are, um, but what the realistic solutions are to actually solving that problem. And I think, um, candidly, what's been so refreshing about working with your constituents um, and learning about how Maine in particular has approached this problem is that um, your state legislature and your state broadband program and governor um, have all been very clear-eyed about the fact that this is a local problem. And so those solutions need to reflect local needs um, and um, they need to reflect local objectives. So the state has really been a trailblazer in making sure that, um, you know, they are doing what they can in order to help communities really solve this problem for themselves. Well, and that's one of the reasons that uh, Mark Warner and I were so intent in Washington that this be a block grant program to the states and not tie it up in the FCC or the Department of Agriculture or uh, any of the federal agencies, that this this really was something that was best handled uh, at, at the local level based upon differences in population distribution, geography, you know, whatever, climate. And uh, so that was a that was a that was a fight. I mean, uh, traditionally, these kinds of funds go through you know various federal agencies, whereas uh, this one is is designed to go uh, straight to the states. I think a, an interesting aspect of this, Catherine, is is a historic one, and that is we're doing something now that's almost identical to what was done in the 30s in electricity and uh, with telephone service uh, because it didn't make economic sense to string all those wires to every farm that was, uh, you know, miles apart. But uh, rural electrification uh, under Franklin Roosevelt dealt with that problem. Universal service under the telephone program dealt with that problem. And here we are again. It's exactly the same uh, issue, and it's going to take uh, concerted action, it seems to me, and, uh, at all levels uh, to, to make sure that just because, you know, your zip code isn't going to determine your your access to the world. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, and that's why, um, you know, we agree with you and Senator Warner and uh, your strong advocacy for putting states in the, in the driver's seat here. Um, you know, they are um, not only, it's not only about understanding your local communities, it's also about assessing kind of the range of options that need to be developed in order to um, meet that unserved population. Um, how do you think about prioritizing funding? Um, and that is going to look very different to, for all of the reasons you outlined earlier, whether it's topography, the type of providers that are in the area, uh, the availability of middle mile, um, you know, it, all of those factors influence the cost of deployment. They influence, um, you know, the, uh, they influence the cost of deployment. So, you know, states are, um, are inherently in a stronger place to understand all of those things. That's not to suggest the federal government doesn't have a role. Um, to your point, you know, the, um, there have been significant federal investments in these sweeping infrastructure programs in the past, whether it's the REA, whether it's the Recovery Act, um, or even the CARES Act. 
um, we've seen the federal government take a leadership position in setting that vision for what they want that money to achieve. And that's in particular where we hope that the Department of Treasury um, will set kind of that big vision for what they want America's digital future to be um, and let states act uh, to implement that vision. Well, you know, it's interesting that under the Recovery Act, which was passed in the first year of the Obama administration to try to help get us out of that so-called Great Recession, uh, we built what's called the three-ring binder in Maine, which is mm -hmm. a, uh, a, a fiber backbone uh, throughout the state. And now, hopefully, what we're going to be able to do is to build the feeder lines uh, to go from that backbone. So, but, but we've already got a big piece of the place uh, based upon that infusion, uh, well, it's been 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And now, uh, hopefully, we're poised to, to make the next the next level uh, of connection. And by the way, in, in the work that you're doing, is it, uh, I mean, I realize we've got to be technology agnostic, but is, is fiber, fiber's got to be part of the answer, doesn't it, in terms of its capacity and, and being future-proof? Unequivocally. Um, you know, we know that fiber, pushing fiber as far into the network as possible um, will be will result in better and more more reliable connections for consumers, but it also helps those other technologies like fixed wireless work better. So for those households where maybe they fall in that you know two percent where it's just you know the cost to connect them to fiber are just so exorbitant, it just may not be realistic. You know, pushing that fiber as far as we can, as close as we can to that house is going to make sure. Um, that, you know, the wireless tower that's in that area can provide the reliable connection that's also worth that family's monthly, um, you know, the, their monthly finances. Um, you know, the fiber is not, it's not just about the speed, it's also about the reliability. And, you know, your families have to think about their budgets. Um, they want to make sure that the connections that they're paying for um, offer the they, that they can trust them and that they can handle the amount of traffic that goes over them now. Um, and so fiber offers that reliability in ways that other technologies just don't. And to your point, we know that they will work well into the future. Um, you talked about this with Josh, but it won't have to be another reinvestment of billions of dollars um, to, you know, install the latest and greatest in technology. Yes, there are operational costs. Yes, there are upgrade costs. But by and large, um, investing in fiber means that um, public leaders in the community can rest assured that the investment will last for the long haul. Well, and that's one of the reasons I've always thought that a community might want to undertake this because they could bond for it. They could, uh, mm -hmm. because it's a long-term asset. It's like a road. Uh, and it'll it'll be there, uh, you know, uh, for uh, 30, 40, uh, 50 minutes, uh, 50, uh, 50 years. And and so it's, uh, you know, it, it truly is an investment. I think we should say we've been talking about it. But as I understand it, the important thing about we're talking about fiber optic cable, which has almost an infinite capacity to carry information. And that's it, 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 it can be very fast today. It can be even faster tomorrow, just depending upon the technology that's hooked up uh, at either end of it. And, and I think that's an important uh, point to make. It's, it's not it's a it's a, a very large pipe, I guess, would be the way to, to, to characterize yeah. it. Yeah. 
Oh, Catherine, do you see, uh, uh, are you enthusiastic about the, the next step? I'm hoping that the money that we got just in, in the last two weeks is is only the the first piece. I, I think we, we need to keep the focus on this and, and realize that it, it has to be part of the uh, the proposed infrastructure bill that, that people are talking about. Uh, and it can't be just roads and bridges. I, I think it has to be, that has to be, uh, broadband as well, because the, the 10 billion is a big number, but it's, uh, the number I've heard is that 50 billion would wire 98% of America. Is that, is that accurate? Is it, is, is that the range of numbers that we're talking about? I need to revisit my data, but uh, I believe there was a study from 2017 or 2018 that cited it as high as 80 to 90 billion for 98 percent. So I, um, it, it, we're not looking at a we're not looking at a small investment. Um, but so to your point, yes, hopefully this is the first of uh, several efforts to uh, put significant federal resources uh, to bridging the digital divide. And certainly we also, we too hope that it is included in the infrastructure package because that's what it is. It's infrastructure. Um, yes, it, you know, connects to technology. Um, yes, we think about it as tech and it is, but it is the, in many ways, the infrastructure of our age. It is the, they are the roads and bridges and trains of our age. It would be interesting to calculate. Maybe you can have somebody at Pew do this calculation. What's the total cost of the interstate highway system mm, uh, that we've built that over is a the good years? Question. Because that's an analogous system that is, and you use the term investment, which is a very important term. This is a, this is an investment that will produce returns. It will uh, stimulate the economy. It will enable people to, to make more money, uh, to connect better, to be a better educated. Uh, just things like telehealth for seniors, not having to drive an hour, sit in an office for an hour, have your half-hour appointment, drive home. Uh, you'll be able to do it instantaneously over the over the uh, over broadband. That's 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 game changing in terms of healthcare, for example. It absolutely is, and the um, exactly what you said about the investment is what we heard uh, local leaders in Maine and in other states across the country tell us. Um, you know, and in particular, there were several communities in Maine that said they were investing in fiber uh, to make sure that they could be confident in their decision that that connection would give them those opportunities well into the future. But they view it as a lifeline. Um, without this high-speed, reliable internet, their towns may die. Um, that's a scary thing uh, for anyone to look at. Um, but to see uh, localities, to see states take um, their their resources, which are, are not vast, and apply them to broadband really should uh, signal to leaders everywhere else just how important this is um, to the survival of communities across the country. Well, infrastructure investments are, are crucial. Uh, I'll end our conversation with a, a wonderful story about a 23-year-old guy who was running for uh, the legislature in Illinois in 1832. Uh, he didn't <laughs> get elected, but he issued a brochure, and his brochure talked about his platform was uh, the the investment in infrastructure and how important it was to, at that point, roads and, and uh, uh, waterways. Uh, and uh, that became a hallmark of this fellow's career, uh, ending up with the uh, Transcontinental Railway and the uh, land-grant universities. His name, of course, was Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he didn't 
he didn't win that election. But I think it's fascinating that the very first political statement he made was about exactly uh, this kind of investment. So uh, we're we're uh, in good historical hands. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us, and, and particularly thank you for the work you and Pew are doing. I look forward to continuing to work with you, and uh, we're going to make this happen. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for joining us on Inside Maine. And we will be with you next month with another story about issues uh, in the state. In the meantime, uh, stay connected. And if you're not yet connected, it looks like help is on the way. Thanks a lot. I'm Angus King. Great to be with you.